I was researching this week just random thought. Just a random thought. I was singing some songs myself to the Lord. I was researching. I wonder how many songs have been written about Jesus. You know, from the cross till now. From His resurrection time. How many songs would you think? So I just put that in my little Google search. How many songs have been written about Jesus? And uh, one guy came up on the search that said he didn't know for sure, but he has 156 pages of songs listed about Jesus. I looked at that. That's a, probably a good start. <laughs> That's not exhaustive, at least. Uh, Fanny J. Crosby is credited with writing over 8,000 poems and songs about Jesus. 8,000? Wow. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,500 songs. I'm a fan of Chris Tomlin. He's got nine albums about Jesus. And you think about your favorite singer. Probably there's dozens at least from each one. And books. How many books have been written about Jesus? Uh, The website Goodreads currently lists 242 books about Jesus. I went further. I checked out the Library of Congress this week. I just typed into their search engine, how many books do you have on Jesus Christ? The number came back 50,029. I had no idea. More books have been written about Jesus Christ than anyone else in history. Isaac Wimberly, uh, maybe you know that name. He's a guy who, who interrupts Carrie Job's song, Forever He's Been Glorified. Remember that song? If you watch it on YouTube or listen to it, he's, uh, he interrupts the song with a poem. And he, he speaks, and then they come back on and finish the song. And this is what Isaac Wimberly said. If there are words for him, I don't have them. See, my brain has not yet reached the point where it could form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of His love. And my voice, see, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits, that it's hard to even sing the praise up. You see, if there are words for Him, then I don't have them. Yeah, what he said, that. We're finishing up a kind of a mini-series of messages on uh, defending your faith, why I believe. And uh, we spent some time, why I believe the Bible was the first one. And then we did our food pack two weeks ago. And then last week I did why I believe the resurrection. And today, why I believe Jesus is the way. The Bible says always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So I'm going to burn through 12 reasons why I believe Jesus is the way. If you have your info page, you can follow along there with it. It'll pop up here. It's going to go fast. Uh, some are just a couple sentences about one of them, and some of them are a little bit more. But 
Perhaps some of you uh, can add more reasons to why you believe. I would welcome that to add to my collection, okay? I am not the genius on the subject. This this compiles 12 reasons why I believe, and I I would welcome more. Uh, First, I believe because of his claims. Uh, His claims. He his. Claims don't focus on like a presidential candidate on promises, campaign promises, not like that. It doesn't focus on his uh, excellent teaching abilities. His claim isn't based on his clear morals or his leadership skills or his good works. His claim is to be related to God In fact, he claimed to be equal to God, and he received worship as God. His critics understood it very quickly. In John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So his critics got it right off. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus said this statement, I and the Father are one. And the, John records, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to him, I've shown you gr- many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So they understood his claim clearly. Uh, they they uh, were waiting to pounce on him. In Mark chapter 2, a paralyzed man was lowered through a roof. Remember that story? Uh, they, they wanted their friend to connect with Jesus. And the surprising words of Jesus shocked everybody in the room. He didn't say, you're healed first. He said, "Sons, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the teachers of the law who were in the audience said, what in the world? No one, no one can forgive sins but God alone. So he crossed the line. They understood it. I sometimes just like to skim my way through the book of John and play fill in the blank. You can you can do that with me this morning. In each chapter, or most of the chapters, Jesus says, I am blank. You get to fill in the blank. Well, this morning I kind of tried to fill them in for you. I am blank. In John chapter 6... I am the bread of life. John chapter 7, I am the living water. John chapter 8, he really crossed the line here, you guys. This was the big no-no. This statement incensed his critics. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. (sighs) If you read the book of... uh, Exodus, you know, that was God's holy name. You don't say that. Nobody says that. That's just way out of bounds. But he said it. I am. John chapter 9, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the good shepherd. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, John 14, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John 15, I am the vine. There's other ones. I just pulled out ones that might be familiar with to you. Uh, Mohammed, Buddha, Confucius, Gandhi, Putin. Has anybody made such claims as this anywhere? These unique claims. Is he lying about who he is? Is he like 
off the wall? Is he just like a mental patient? Or is he clearly just explaining who he was so people like us can understand? So one reason I believe he is the way is because of his claims, his unique claims. The second is his perfection. The the words of Jesus are backed by his character. In John eight forty six, he said, Can any of you here prove me guilty of sin? Oh boy, you guys know me. How about if I stood up here today and said, Can any of you guys point out any flaws in me? <laughs> yeah, every hand goes up. I've got a list, Mike. I can show you. It, we, yeah, who can do that? Who can say, Can any of you point, point out the sin in me? But Jesus did that. He never confessed sin. He never sought forgiveness. He never said, My bad. That's on me. I screwed that up. Never did that. Peter, quoting Isaiah, said he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. John chapter, or first John three, verse five says, but you know that he appears so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. And then second Corinthians five twenty one, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And then at his trial, uh, Herod said, I have examined him and found no basis of charges against him. Neither has Herod. Wow. Uh, Pretty amazing stuff. Uh, I've read two biographies on the life of Mohammed so far in my lifetime. And I know that what I'm about to say in many circles would cause me to be put on a hit list for saying this pointing out the flaws of one of the prophets, one known as the prophet. But here's the truth. I read it. Uh, He was corrupt. He was selfish. He was a thief. He stole possessions and he trafficked people for his own pleasure, and that is putting it mildly. The life of Christ is so pure that even his peers and his enemies and his critics could not point out a single time when he crossed the line. It is amazing. That's one reason why I believe. Number three reason is his miracles. Uh, okay, so a miracle, if you could define a miracle, it would just be a demonstration of power over natural forces. Uh, Jesus did that routinely as you know even his enemies admitted his miracles again in john chapter 10 jesus said i've done many miracles from my father which of these do you stone me for and they they said not not for any of these but for your words john chapter 20 jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. Man, we don't have the full record of His miracles in the Bible. But we have enough to believe. It was this, the disciples themselves who were with Jesus when He calmed the sea and said, What kind of guy is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him? It's amazing to me, you guys, as I grow older and more frail and things break down in my body and my friends, uh, some of the miracles of Jesus were performed in private. Many were performed in public. Some in full view of his exasperated enemies. 
Even in his trial, King Herod wanted to see him, hoping he would perform some miracle. That's what the Bible says. And that's what really connects with me. It is amazing the miracles of Jesus were instantaneous. They required no MRIs, no x-rays, no equipment of any kind. No medication, no follow-up, no insurance forms. Oh yeah. He demonstrated power over natural forces. No needles, no second opinions, no hospital stays. Done. You're good. Next. That's how I handle it. I. We could spend a long time on his miracles, couldn't we? we got to move on, but man, oh man, are we blessed. Uh, four is his teaching. In his three years in public office, and public life, I should say, he no one gave more information than he did. I think it's fair to say that he is still the most quoted teacher of all time. He taught so clearly that the uneducated could grasp these deep concepts about life and heaven and the kingdom. Yet, he could speak so deeply that he could confound the experts of the law even when he was 12 years old. They were no match for his questions, his wisdom, his logic. Uh, Most of the leaders of the day uh, quoted former teachers. You know, the rabbi said this, so I'm going to repeat that. But Jesus spoke on his own authority. I, I love the story of when uh, the authorities sent a squad of soldiers to arrest Jesus. And they said, bring him back. <laughs> they came back empty-handed. And the bosses said, we told you to bring him back. Why didn't you bring him back? What's the big deal? There's one guy. Bring him back. And they said, no one ever spoke the way this man spoke. It's like they were just baffled by his wisdom. And the cool thing about it is that Jesus didn't preach self-esteem. He didn't preach self-fulfillment. He preached self-denial. Take up your cross and follow me. Uh, The right actions produce the right feelings. So people flocked to him. They couldn't hear enough. And he practiced what he preached. Okay, let's move on to number five. The fifth reason why I believe. The fulfillment of his of the predictions about him. Uh, this would take several chapters to explain. I will do my best. The apostles appealed to two reasons on why they believed Jesus was the way. One was the resurrection. The second is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Um, the Old Testament was written over a period of about a thousand years but it contained a whole bunch of predictions about this guy who was coming, who was going to be the Messiah. It didn't come right out and say it all in one paragraph so that you could just have it right there. It's just pieces here and pieces there and over there, and it's a big puzzle. So let me just throw a couple, a, a handful of these predictions together and see if you know anybody that fits this description. Okay, you. what are the odds of finding somebody like this? First of all, the person we're talking about, their mom has to be a virgin. I know. Start there. That's your first problem. The mom has to be a virgin. I know. That's a head shaker. You scratch your head going, oh my goodness, how? Okay, that rules out um, 
Everybody I know. Moving on. Now that person had to be born in Bethlehem in Israel. Yet that person also had to spend time in Egypt. Yet he had to be known as a guy who grew up or was from the town of Nazareth. So those, those three factors right there. Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth. Anybody you know like that? Now, um, that person also had to be betrayed by one of his friends for 30 pieces of silver. Not 29 pieces of gold, but 30 pieces of silver. That's what it says. It had to be like that. He had to be killed with thieves, but none, none of his bones could be broken. And, oh, one more factor, just to make it a little more difficult. At his death, the sun had to go dark in the middle of the day. Those are just a few, just a few of the predictions that were made about the Messiah. Just a handful of them. And so it would be like an archer being blindfolded and shooting ten arrows at a bullseye and hitting the bullseye every time. Not one miss. Not even close to a miss. It's crazy, but somebody somewhere had to be guiding those arrows to the right place. And I find it true in Christ and only Christ. Number six is his defense at his trial. This is a quick one, but it's a lot of things to think about. Uh, he didn't stop his own execution. He did not defend himself. He did not hire a defense lawyer. He had a conversation with Pilate a little bit, but mostly he was silent, like he wanted to die. Especially given his many miracles and his great power, he certainly could have worked his way out of jail, out of the trial. He could have got out of that if he wanted to. But he seemed to be born for this very purpose. Like it was planned. Like that's what he wanted to have happen. Who does that? What what criminal doesn't want out? But oh, I'm good. I'll stay. I'll die. Let's move on to number seven, which we kind of covered in detail last week. And that is his resurrection uh, the central point of Jesus' identity and our hope is really resting on this one point. Did he rise from the dead or did he not? And, of course, the problem for those who say he did not is the eyewitnesses who saw him alive after his death. And even when threatened with death themselves, they would not change their story. Frank Morrison, as an old-timer, he wrote a, a book. He was convinced that the whole story of the resurrection was a hoax. And uh, he decided he was going to investigate it and write this book that proved that it was a, you know, untrue story. And as he began to write, he ended up writing a book called Who Moved the Stone? <laughs> like, what just happened here? And uh, the, this is the biggest reason why I believe in Jesus. There's, there's a lot more, but this is the main reason why I believe. Number eight is history's voice. Uh, you, you can't study history uh, and ignore Christ. 
I know many try to do in our modern education. They, they don't include him in any way as if it's real history. History is his story. But they want to eliminate him from it. Yet they say back in uh, you know 1000 B.C., uh, we're measuring our history by the life of this man. I just give you a couple of historians from secular history. There's a guy named... Tacticus, who wrote Roman history, he mentions Christ and said he was put to death by Pontius Pilate. There was another one named Lucian who was a critic of Christianity, but he said Jesus introduced a new cult to the world. Josephus was more of a encourager of the faith. I'm not sure he was a devout follower, but he said Jesus was a doer of many good works. He died on a cross and appeared to believers. There's another a guy named Thallus, a non-Roman who was a Gentile. He spoke of the eclipse of, of the sun at the death of Christ. Man, the holy book of Islam, the Quran, has this quote. It says, Mary, God gives the good tidings of a Word from him whose name is Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary. High and honored shall he be in this world and the next near station to God. From the Quran. Hmm. Old timers, uh, used, uh, uh, something called the encyclopedia. Remember that? Old timers, remember that? When we did our research papers, we had to start digging into the library to find what we were after. Yeah. The encyclopedias give more words to Jesus Christ than any other human. And uh, we've already discussed books and songs, and I'd like to go further into that. And I'd like to learn more about the Library of Congress, too. Let me move on to number nine, his influence. Uh, one Another reason why I believe. H.G. Uh, Wells is a historian who said, he said, who left the most permanent impression on history? Who was it? And he just says, objectively, Jesus Christ stands first. Kenneth Scott Lauderet was a historian of note, and he said, Jesus is the most influential man who ever lived on this planet, and the evidence is mounting. If you think about it, if you look at our world today, the influence just continues to ripple, ripple out from the cross and the empty tomb to us today. His influence on politics, on hospitals, on economies, on business. Uh, golfers. Golfers have a term. The mulligan. You hit a bad one, you put another ball on the tee and you hit it again. It's called a mulligan. It's the second chance. It's grace. You give grace. It's, I credit Jesus with that. The ripple effect. It, it, I mean, comfort stations and, and, uh, Hosts and people who care for one another and all the hospitals are named Good Samaritan and Brothers of Mercy. Where did all those names come from? It ripples from the empty tomb. Man, his influence is still felt today. Um, another reason in more of a negative light I list as number 10, and that is the futility of religion. Um, the inconsistency of other uh, leaders make Jesus just stand alone. Uh, as I said before, Muhammad fought 
battles to win converts. Either follow me or die. That was it. Jesus didn't chase after anybody. He said, this is my way. You want to come follow me? It's cool. If you don't, you know, I understand. It's a heavy price to pay if you follow me. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. I get it. It's hard. It's worth it. But it's hard. Uh, Buddha went through a series of meditations to gain his awakening. I, I read more about him this week. It's almost like you have to go chase here and then chase here and chase here and do this and do that. And with enough work, you also can get to this next level if you, maybe, maybe you can if you do all this. And it's so cool to read the Bible. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You don't have to chase it, and it's right here except Christ. It's sobering when you realize that the people you looked up to have feet of clay. They're like you. And and then there's man's search for his own purpose. Like, what am I here for? What's the reason for me to do good? Uh, then you try to do good and realize, ah, I blew it again. Darn it. And the guilt bears down on you. And how do I deal with this guilt? Man, I just... Mm. And we try to be religious and we try to keep the rules, but again, we we fail. How can a holy, if there is a God and He's holy and He's perfect and He's righteous, how can He allow a guy like me into His family? Shouldn't I pay somehow for my wrongs? Yeah. Yeah, you should pay for your wrongs. But somebody became your substitute. And that leads me to number 11. The good news. Just briefly, you know it. But God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's, it's the greatest love story ever told. And it's a true one. And He traded His life for ours because of His great love for us. And I put on the screen for you these amazing words said by Jesus to a guy named Nicodemus so long ago, but so current and fresh. It's like the morning news. One of the biggest buts in the Bible. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And there it is. I just have one more reason why I believe Jesus is the way. Again, I welcome your addition. Maybe we can get 25 before we're done today. I bet we can. Uh, one of them is... The twelfth one I have is changed lives. Um, Each one of you have a story of the effect that he has had on your life. He's not dead and in a tomb. He's alive and well and at work in us today. Uh, Jesus makes this huge difference. He, He isn't a character in an old book. He's living. He transforms life. Paul, the worst of sinners, was changed by Christ. A guy in the Bible who was a scary demon-possessed man that nobody wanted to mess with was changed by the life of Christ. You and I know people uh, in our world that uh, everyone had given up on. Maybe it was you. Everyone gave up on. And then the Lord entered your life. And what a difference He's made in our lives. The Gospel works. You give it a chance, the gospel works. It transforms lives. It transformed your 
life and mine. And that's why I believe there, and you guys, there's more to say on each one of these subjects, but these are 12 reasons why I believe Jesus is the way. Uh, I want to just conclude with this, uh, statement made by a minister way back in 1926. I'll bet you've heard it before. Uh, this was written by a guy named Dr. Alan Francis, um, born in Nova Scotia, became a pastor at age 21 in New York City, eventually moved to Los Angeles in 1914, is, became a, known as a gifted wordsmith and presenter of the gospel. He wrote these words called One Solitary Life. Have you heard it? It goes like this. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village as the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then for three years was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, never held an office, never owned a home, never had a family, never went to college, Never put his foot inside a big city. Never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. Never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away from him. One of them denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon the cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. 19 wide centuries have come and gone. And today he is the center of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. I need to invite the worship team up. You guys, the world is shaking today. Uh, War in Europe scares everybody. Uh, Your life is temporary. If you didn't know that, you're not here for long. You're grass, you're a vapor, you're mist is what the Bible describes you as. You need a hope. You need a rescue. You need a Savior. If you can find someone else better than Jesus, go for it. But I don't think you're going to find anyone else better. He is the one and the only one. If you'd like to talk about that, if you'd like to have prayer for your life, if you want to accept Him as your Lord, we would be happy to welcome you here.